Good morning. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. New Hampshire residents vote in their presidential primary Tuesday with one less candidate to choose from. I'm Jackie Quinn. Abortion, a key platform for President Biden as campaigning ramps up. Really did mobilize a lot of people. I'm Clayton Neville. Much of the U.S. still dealing with very cold weather, and some are even still digging out from the snow. I'm Julie Walker. Update on those missing Navy SEALs in Somalia. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 index opens at its first record high in two years. I'm Jessica Ettinger. South Carolina is banning gender-affirming care for transgender minors. I'm Jennifer King. Tara Vanderveer became the all-time winningest college basketball coach when eighth-ranked Stanford completed a 65-56 victory over Oregon State. I'm Dave Ferry. All ahead on America in the Morning. The New Hampshire primary is just a day away, and as Granite State residents head to the polls, they'll find one less candidate to choose from. Correspondent Jackie Quinn reports less than six days after coming in second place in Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is abandoning his bid for the White House. This is America's time for choosing. We can choose to allow a border invasion, or we can choose to stop it. We can choose reckless borrowing and spending, or we can choose to limit government and lower inflation. We can choose political indoctrination, or we can choose classical education. Even before the nation's second presidential contest. I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, And they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ended his presidential bid Sunday with a videotaped message. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. And he gave his endorsement, even though they've sparred in the past. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. The 45-year-old DeSantis came in second place in Iowa, but 30 points behind Trump and took a parting shot at rival Nikki Haley. We can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Haley's been out in New Hampshire shaking hands and holding rallies. You have a decision to make, and the decision comes down to this. Do we want more of the same, or do you want something different? trying to put a dent into Donald Trump's New Hampshire support. I'm Jackie Quinn. President Biden is ramping up his re-election campaign with abortion seemingly a key platform. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports. President Biden and Vice President Harris have events scheduled this week pushing abortion rights. This is reproductive rights are expected to be a campaign focal point for the president this campaign season. It's the first presidential election since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, essentially returning decisions on abortion to the states. In a Biden campaign video drop this week, Texas OBGYN Dr. Austin Denard shared her story and her support for the president. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. 
At a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and that there was absolutely no chance of survival. She had an abortion after she was forced to leave the state of Texas to get the procedure because of the state's abortion ban. In Texas, you are forced to carry that pregnancy, and that is because of Donald Trump overturning Roe v. Wade. The choice was completely taken away. I was to continue my pregnancy, putting my life at risk. It's every woman's worst nightmare, and it was absolutely unbearable. The ad goes after former President Trump, who recently said during a Fox News town hall that he helped get rid of Roe v. Wade and that he's proud to have done it. Democrats are standing firmly behind pro-choice policies as campaigning heats up. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer told CBS's Face the Nation that she galvanized voters around the abortion issue and believes President Biden should do the same thing. I think it really did mobilize a lot of people and brought a lot of people who are not traditional Democratic voters to the conversation and, and gave me their support as well because I was the one fighting for these fundamental rights that we'd had for 50 years that were at risk of being ripped away. This week, the focus is New Hampshire, but President Biden's not on the ballot there. That's a decision by the Biden campaign over a dispute between New Hampshire and the DNC over South Carolina hosting an early primary. Biden supporters, though, are being encouraged to write his name into the ballot. Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips is trying to take advantage of the situation in New Hampshire and during a campaign event there over the weekend called President Biden unelectable and weak. He referred to his age. At 81, Biden is the oldest sitting president, but the White House maintains it's not about age, but instead experience. I'm Clayton Neville. On these latest storm systems, an update next when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning to start the work week. Let's check if there's any major storms moving across the nation. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. While there will not be any huge storms across the country today, there will be areas of wintry and rainy weather that can impact travel and likely result in slower travel and delays. As moisture streams northward from the Gulf of Mexico into colder air across the southern plains and northeastern Texas this morning, there can be an icy mix that can lead to slippery roads and sidewalks. This includes places like Dallas, Tulsa, and Oklahoma City. There will also be pockets of freezing rain and sleet impacting Missouri, eastern Kansas, and Illinois today, spreading into northern Indiana, northwestern Ohio, and southern Michigan this afternoon. 
afternoon. So places like St. Louis to Chicago to Detroit can also be prepared for slick spots and travel delays through the evening commute. Further south, downpours can lead to localized flash flooding today over eastern Texas and western Louisiana, including areas around Houston and Shreveport. The other area of stormy weather today will be out west with rounds of rain expected up and down the west coast from Seattle to San Diego. This can lead to poor visibility, ponding of water in area streets and highways, and slow travel. Rain and mountain snow will spread across Nevada into the central and southern Rockies. Much of the northern plains will have cloudy but dry weather today, with the exception of northern parts of North Dakota and Minnesota, where there can also be some light snow showers. Some snow showers will develop over the lower Great Lakes this afternoon, while much of the northeast and mid-Atlantic will remain dry, with the cold air from this past weekend easing up a bit. Many locations will finally climb above the freezing mark after several days of sub-freezing temperatures. The southeast will have partly the mostly sunny skies, with highs in the 50s and 60s, even 70s over southern Florida. And that's the weather across America. In New York City today, partly sunny, high 39. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, rain with a high of 61. I'm MikeyWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. Remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. It's believed more than 70 people have died across the nation from last week's severe weather, which included blizzards, high winds, flooding, and frigid temperatures. As Julie Walker reports, they're still digging out from a massive snow around the Great Lakes, and frozen water pipes are a big issue in a number of southern states. It takes quite a bit of time because there's just so much snow. I had to pull my car in our all-wheel drive just to get out and... Yeah, it's it's a little rough. Michigan City, Indiana got 30 inches of lake effect snow Friday into Saturday. Just one of the places getting dumped on. Dave Westfall, who does snow removal, tells WLS-TV it's been nonstop work for him. Can I say crazy, but with the capitals? <laughs> yeah, I've been out uh, three days with uh, no sleep. The cold weather stretching from the middle of the country to the east coast. Winter storms this month claiming at least 67 lives, many involving hypothermia or road accidents. National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob Warovec says temperatures will rise this week and it will be rainy from Texas to Tennessee. The cold air mass moves off the coast and some warmer air starts to build northeastward. So a lot of, a lot of the cold below average temperatures that we have had over the past few days will begin to moderate and actually by midweek or early to midweek we'll have much above average temperatures across a good part of their country east of the Rockies. I'm Julie Walker. Two U.S. Navy SEALs who went missing during a mission off the coast of Somalia January 11th have been declared dead. U.S. Central Command said the SEALs were lost in rough seas during a mission to board a vessel in search of Iranian illicit weapons destined for the Houthis in Yemen. Teams from the U.S., Japan, and Spain searched an area of more than 21,000 square miles for the missing Navy SEALs. CENTCOM said one of the sailors fell off as he was trying to board the vessel, and the other SEAL jumped in after him. Their names were withheld by the military out of respect for their families. When we return on America in the Morning, record highs on Wall Street, and what's trending at fast food after these messages.
Welcome back. America in the Morning continues. It's being called a crawfish catastrophe. A combination of state drought and weather anomalies has severely impacted the price of the little Louisiana delicacy. A prediction by the Louisiana State University Ag Center says buyers are offering fishermen 7 to $8 a pound just to let them go out and bait traps to catch the crawfish. The hotter-than-normal summer months dried up the mud that crawfish used to burrow down in, and this winter, being colder than normal, is expected to leave crawfish in very short supply in Baton Rouge. A pound of crawfish costs $13, double what it was just a year ago. And what many may see as a boost in their 401k retirement fund, here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger with Monday Business. Wall Street opens this morning after the S&P 500 index, the fund for which is in millions of Americans' retirement accounts. It closed at a record high for the first time in two years last Friday. The Nasdaq 100 also hit a record high on Friday. Investors are cheering. A record on the S&P 500. Remember, the prior record was under 4,800. That was at the very first trading days of January in 2022. So we've gone over two years without a record high on the benchmark. CNBC's Mike Santoli. Consumers are feeling much better about the economy. They're getting the message that inflation is plunging. They hope it keeps dropping. The University of Michigan sentiment number jumped to its best level since the summer of 2021. The real estate business, different story. It's coming off its worst year since 1995 for existing home sales after interest rates popped over 8% last fall for a 30-year fixed home loan. But as of Friday, Mortgage News Daily had the average rate down to about 6.9%. Frequent flyers frustrated that they can't easily use the points they've racked up by spending on certain credit cards. The CEO of Delta Airlines talked about that at the American Express PGA Tournament in California with CNBC's Scott Wapner, who asked him point blank. Amex pays you for the sky miles that customers get when they use their credit card. That's essentially how the relationship works. Exactly right. And in turn, we provide the miles so that the the consumers want the value of the travel benefits that that card provides. And we're the source of that. You know what else they want? They want to be able to use their miles. They want to be able to use their points easier. Yeah. Why is it getting harder? Well, demand is really strong. It's really strong. We've never seen a stronger demand set in our history. Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastian saying it's the flyer's fault, not saying Delta is going to open up more availability to fly with miles anytime soon. Uh, Jessica, you've got to look at what fast food customers are requesting most. It's chicken. That's what's for dinner and lunch. Fast food chains will continue to lean into chicken on menus this year. It's cheaper and people want it. Burger prices are up 10% in 2023 versus chicken sandwich prices climbing just 5%. Chicken has been mostly deflationary and data from Technomic also shows consumers are flocking to the bird when it comes to orders as they are the value play. The number of consumers who ordered chicken sandwiches increased year on year from 14.6% to 15.7%. The number of burger orders in that same time frame last year flat. Burger prices are up 10% in 2023 versus chicken sandwich prices climbing just 5%. CNBC's Kate Rogers. On today's watch list, we're going to see if that S&P 500 index hits a fresh record high or if it drops today, there could be some profit taking. We get earnings today from United Airlines. Thank you, CNBC's Jessica Edinger. When we return on America in the Morning, banned from gender-affirming care. When America in the Morning continues after these messages.
back this Monday. You're with America in the Morning. South Carolina has joined more than a dozen other states that have banned gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Correspondent Jennifer King reports. At least 22 states have passed restrictions or bans on gender-affirming care for those under the age of 18. South Carolina was one of the few southern states without such a ban, but their House overwhelmingly voted to approve a new bill. It would bar health professionals from performing gender transition surgeries or prescribing puberty-blocking drugs or hormone treatments for patients who are minors. People under 26 could not use Medicaid to cover the cost for such care. The bill's co-sponsor, Republican John McCravey, described transgender children as mentally disturbed in the need of protection from mutilation, while Democratic lawmakers accused Republicans of fear-mongering. Meanwhile, this week in Missouri, lawmakers are also considering a new slew of like-minded proposals. In Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine has proposed new rules that could make the state the second to restrict gender-affirming medical care for transgender adults. Major medical groups, like the American Medical Association, oppose the bans and have endorsed transgender-oriented care, saying it's safe when properly administered. I'm Jennifer King. Duke's legendary Coach K no longer has the top spot in the collegiate ranks. Stanford now has the winningest head coach in college basketball history. Correspondent Dave Ferry reports. Tara Vanderveer became the all-time winningest college basketball coach when eighth-ranked Stanford completed a 65-56 victory over Oregon State. The 70-year-old Vanderveer collected her 1,203rd win to pass Duke and Army coach Mike Shashevsky. Great crowd today, and our team really stepped up. That's what I'm most. That's what I'll remember from the day. She has been coaching since age 24 and has been with the Cardinals since 1985. Save for one year, she led the U.S. women's basketball team to a gold medal in 1996. I'm I'm very appreciative of uh, the great players I've coached and the great places I've been um, and you know the attention is brought to women's basketball. Vanderveer's resume includes five National Coach of the Year honors and three national championships the last coming in 2021. I'm Dave Ferry. America in the Morning for Monday, January 22nd, 2024 is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. And now only two Republicans are left standing in the race for the White House. I'm John Stolnitz. North Korea stresses alignment with Russia against the U.S. and says Putin could visit the country soon. I'm Mimi Montgomery. The message from Friday's March heads to the campaign trail. I'm Clayton Neville. Another Boeing jet is making news for an emergency landing. I'm Katie Clark with those details. Family and friends gathered to say goodbye to an Iowa principal. I'm Julie Walker. The NFL is down to its final four. I'm Robert Workman. Early news from Sundance sees the first acquisition and protests. I'm Kevin Carr. Mean Girls keeps the number one spot at the movies. I'm Archie Zaroleta with the latest. Back after these messages. Relief from the cold somewhat for many in the east today. Welcome back. You're with America in the morning. AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson has the forecast. Much of the northeast and mid-Atlantic will finally feel the more intense cold of this past weekend begin to ease up a bit today. In fact, many locations will finally climb above the freezing mark with several days of sub-freezing temperatures this past weekend. Meanwhile, the southeast will have partly the mostly sunny skies with highs in the 50s and 60s, even 70s over southern Florida. And just 
Just like much of the east today, the northern plains will have dry weather with the exception of the northern parts of North Dakota and Minnesota. There can also be some light snow showers and flurries. Meanwhile, much of the stormy weather today will be focused across the central and western parts of the United States as moisture streams north or from the Gulf of Mexico into colder air across the southern plains and the northeastern Texas this morning. There can be an icy mix that can lead to slippery roads and sidewalks. This includes places like Dallas, Tulsa, and Oklahoma City. Also be pockets of freezing rain and sleet impacting Missouri, eastern Kansas, and Illinois today, spreading into northern Indiana, northwestern Ohio, and southern Michigan this afternoon. So places from St. Louis to Chicago to Detroit should also be prepared for slick spots and travel delays through the evening commute. Some snow showers will expand across the lower Great Lakes this afternoon. Further south, downpours can lead to localized flash flooding today over eastern Texas and western Louisiana, including areas around Houston and Shreveport. The other area of stormy weather today will be out west with rounds of rain expected up and down the west coast from Seattle to San Diego. This can lead to poor visibility, pulling of water on roadways, and slow travel. Rain showers will spread across Nevada, Idaho, and the desert southwest. Snow levels will be fairly high across the west and will be mainly confined to the highest elevations of the Sierra Nevada and central and southern Rockies. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. Remember to follow us everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis surprised the political world by announcing he was suspending his campaign two days before the New Hampshire primary. Our John Stolnes has been following the candidates and captured DeSantis' remarks when he had this to say. Can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. DeSantis making the announcement via a video released on social media. He had been focusing much of his efforts in South Carolina, despite the New Hampshire primary taking place on Tuesday. He says he and his campaign gave it all they had. Nobody worked harder and we left it all out on the field. And despite rhetoric increasingly challenging to Donald Trump over the last few days, DeSantis confirmed he will endorse the GOP frontrunner. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, now the only non-Trump candidate left in the GOP race, fired back at those claims by DeSantis in an interview with CNN. Prove that Ron DeSantis says that I'm a corporate whatever he says I am. I've never done that. But Haley also complimented DeSantis's campaign. I think that Ron ran a good race. I know it's personal to get into a race. It's personal to get out of a race. He's been a good governor and he added a lot to the campaign and we wish him well. Five polls in New Hampshire out last week showed DeSantis with around 7% support, far behind Trump's 54% and Haley's 37%. In South Carolina, the polling showed similar numbers. Trump, speaking at a rally in Rochester, acknowledged DeSantis's withdrawal. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and, of course, a really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He and happily accepted his endorsement. I appreciate that. And I also look forward to working with Ron and everybody else to defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will have to get him out. We have to get him out. New Hampshire residents head to the polls tomorrow. I'm John Stolnes.
North Korea seems to be getting even closer with Russia highlighting its alignment against the U.S. and their state media is hinting that Vladimir Putin could visit the country soon. As correspondent Mimi Montgomery reports, this comes as a shelling attack at a market in Russian-occupied Ukraine left dozens of people dead. North Korea is saying Russian President Putin is expressing willingness to visit the country at an unspecified but early date as the countries continue to align in the face of their separate but intensifying confrontations with the United States. In a statement, the North Korean foreign ministry highlights Putin's intent for a visit following a recent meeting in Moscow between the two countries' foreign ministers. The statement also says North Korea is continuing to further strategic and tactical cooperation with Russia to establish a new multipolarized international national order, a reference to their efforts to build a united front against Washington. If anyone thinks this is only about us, this is only about Ukraine, they are fundamentally mistaken. Local officials report at least 25 people are dead after shelling at a market on the outskirts of Donetsk in Russian-occupied Ukraine. A further 20 people are injured, according to the Russian-installed authorities in Donetsk, who say the shells were fired by the Ukrainian military. In a separate incident, fire broke out at a chemical transport terminal at Russia's Ustluga port following two explosions, according to regional officials. Local media reports that the port was attacked by Ukrainian drones. I'm Mimi Montgomery. It may have been bone-chilling in the nation's capital, but pro-life advocates were out in large numbers, taking the momentum of the annual March for Life rally into an election season that's expected to feature abortion as a key focal point. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports. We're passing these bills and we're marching today because it takes a lot of work to convince people that every single human child, every unborn child, has a value that is too profound and precious to ignore. And we have every reason to be optimistic, my friends that we can change public opinion. Pro-life supporters braved a snowstorm in D.C. voicing support for states with strict abortion laws. It's the second rally of its kind since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, essentially returning decisions on abortion to the states. The beauty of this event is that it's a beautiful picture of America. We have people from all walks of life, all ages, all experiences, all backgrounds. And we're all joining to celebrate life. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson spoke to the crowd amid the frigid weather. This is a critical time to help all moms who are facing unplanned pregnancies, to work with foster children, and to help families who are adopting. He touted efforts on Capitol Hill to help pregnant moms. The House passed the Pregnant Students' Rights Act because that's right. Because uh, being pregnant while finishing your degree can be really difficult, but, but women should not be presented with a false choice of being a mom or being a student. Abortion expected to be a key issue in this election year. President Biden pushing a pro-choice message and going after former President Donald Trump in a new campaign ad suggesting Trump's Supreme Court picks allowed for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. The Biden campaign pointing to impacts of strict state abortion bans that often lead to women going to other states to get an abortion. I'm Clayton Neville. Demolition is underway at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, the site of the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in American history. Walter Ratliff reports. The work that began was part of the effort to reimagine the building to honor the 11 people who were killed there. The October 27, 2018 attack claimed the lives of worshipers from three congregations meeting at the synagogue. Most of the building will be removed, although parts of the sanctuary walls will be preserved. The new building will include spaces for worship, a museum, an education center, and a movie theater. In a related project, a memorial to the victims is being planned for a site just outside the synagogue. 
The design calls for a walkway that will lead visitors into a garden memorial with 11 sculpted forms of open books, each representing one of the people who were killed. The sculptures represent the Book of Life, where according to Jewish tradition, the righteous are named. I'm Walter Radliff. When we return on America in the Morning, it's not the Russians or TikTok, but rather deep fakes threatening the integrity of the presidential election. A closer look when America in the Morning continues after these messages. We're back. This is America in the Morning. I'm John Trout. The National Transportation Safety Board has released details into their investigation into what forced an Atlas Air 747 made by Boeing to return back to Miami and make an emergency landing with one of its engines on fire. Katie Clark has the story, audio courtesy of Real ATC. Recently, Boeing made the news when a passenger plane made an emergency landing shortly after takeoff because a panel fell out mid-flight near Portland, Oregon. In that incident, no one was hurt. Another Boeing airplane is now making news. Last Thursday, Atlas Air, the airline that flies mainly cargo and charter flights, flew the Boeing 747-8 out of Miami International loaded with cargo on its way to Puerto Rico. Only minutes after takeoff, the pilot reported an engine fire on one of its four engines. Here's sound of the pilot calling into Miami air traffic control shortly after takeoff. Mayday, mayday, uh, giant 095 heavy uh, engine fire. A total of five crew members were aboard. The pilot was able to safely land just minutes later. The crew members and the pilot were not hurt. The FAA investigation continues, preliminarily reporting to have found a softball-sized hole in one of the engines. I'm Katie Clark. Family and friends gathered over the weekend to say goodbye to an Iowa principal killed in a school shooting by a 17-year-old gunman. Correspondent Julie Walker reports. Mourners filled Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines to remember Dan Marburger. His daughter, Claire Marburger, said she knew asking for her dad back was too great of a wish. Instead, my wish would be for one of dad's hugs, just a couple seconds to hold him. And he told me. Police say the 56-year-old principal intervened with the teenage gunman so students could escape. His wife, Elizabeth Marburger, who he'd been with since eighth grade, says he was a man of unconditional love and compassion for so many. My wish for all of you is to have someone, a parent, a partner, a friend, a sibling, who will love you unconditionally like Dan did for me. A sixth grader was also killed in the January 4th shooting, which happened in a shared cafeteria for both middle and high school students. The gunman died of a self-inflicted gunshot. I'm Julie Walker. A Texas man caught with a 13-year-old girl in his car who was able to signal for help has pleaded guilty to kidnapping charges. Correspondent Jackie Quinn reports. You may remember this story. The 13-year-old girl was able to hold up a sign that read, Help me, after her abductor, 62-year-old Stephen Robert Sablin, had driven her from Texas to Long Beach, California. A passerby saw her sign and called 911. That was July 9th of last year, and police rescued the girl. Sablin, in court in California, pleaded guilty to one count of kidnapping and faces a minimum of 20 years in prison. 
He admitted to sexually assaulting the girl after an FBI report says he saw her walking by herself in San Antonio on July 6th and forced her into his car at gunpoint. Her rescue in California came three days later. I'm Jackie Quinn. A Massachusetts police officer is lucky to be alive after being shot by a barricaded suspect. Police report the 29-year-old Wilbraham officer responded to a house after receiving a call that a resident was threatening others inside the home. When he arrived, the gunman opened fire, striking the officer once. He was rushed to an area hospital where he is now being treated. State police were then called in along with a crisis negotiating team and the bomb squad. Officers later rushed the home and arrested a 53-year-old man without further incident who faces numerous charges. That officer is expected to recover. It's officially election season, and with the new advancements in deep fakes using AI, at least one developer has been now banned for making a fake presidential candidate ad. Here's Chuck Palm with that. The Microsoft-backed OpenAI has banned a developer of a bot mimicking Democrat presidential hopeful Congressman Dean Phillips. This is the first time that ChatGPT maker OpenAI has taken action what seems to be a misuse of artificial intelligence tools in a political campaign, according to the Washington Post. A spokesperson for OpenAI told Reuters, We recently removed a developer account that was knowingly violating our API usage policies, which disallow political campaigning or in impersonating an individual without their consent. The program called DeanBot, powered by OpenAI's ChatGPT, was created by Silicon Valley entrepreneurs Matt Krisiloff and Jed Summers, who started a super PAC named We Deserve Better, supporting Phillips ahead of the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday. The PAC has received a million dollars from billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman. The PAC had contracted with AI startup Delphi to build the bot. Tell us what you think at allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. Sports this Monday morning on America in the Morning. Here's our Robert Workman. NFL divisional round games on Sunday. The Lions held off the Buccaneers 31-23, breaking open a close game with three straight touchdown drives in the second half. Jared Goff had two TD passes. First time we played them wasn't easy, and, and this time wasn't easy at all either, and, and it kind of took until then to kind of break the game open on, in a way, and they're stingy, man. They're really stingy, and, and we started to be able to move the ball there a little bit in the fourth quarter, and, and that final dri- touchdown drive there was, was big. Detroit has now won two playoff games in the same year for the first time since 1957. That was the last time they captured the NFL. Title. The defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs kept their repeat hopes alive with a 27-24 win over the Bills in Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes hit Travis Kelsey for two touchdowns, but the lasting image will be a painfully familiar one for Buffalo fans. Tyler Bass missing the game-tying field goal wide right. Saturday, the Ravens trampled the Texans and the 49ers edged the Packers, so the conference championship games are set for Sunday. First, the Chiefs and the Ravens meet in Baltimore for the AFC title. Then it's the Lions visiting the 49ers for the NFC crown. The winners go to Super Bowl. Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. NBA, the Celtics slammed the Rockets 116-107. The Nuggets nailed the Wizards 113-104. Nikola Jokic, 42 points. Suns over the Pacers 117-110. Kevin Durant put up 40. Phoenix has won five in a row. Magic iced the heat. And a day-night doubleheader in LA. The Clippers rallied past the Nets in the opener, closing out the game on a 22-0 run. Then the Lakers led wire to wire in a win over the Blazers. NHO, Kirill Kaprizov netted a hat trick to lead the Wild over the Hurricanes 5-2. Rangers scored four in the third to down the Ducks. 5-2. Islanders rally past the Stars in overtime in Patrick Waugh's debut as coach for New York. Senators beat the Flyers and the Red Wings top the Lightning. That's Monday Sports. Thank you, sir. Robert Workman on sports. Mean Girls. 
how that's going for you when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Back now on America in the Morning, the Sundance Film Festival kicked off this weekend and included some controversy inside and outside the venue in Park City, Utah. Kevin Carr has more. The Sundance Film Festival was fully underway this past weekend with multiple premieres, celebrity sightings, and plenty of cold weather. The first big acquisition was announced on Sunday after Searchlight scored the worldwide rights to Jesse Eisenberg's A Real Pain. Eisenberg wrote, directed, and stars in the partly autobiographical movie about his trip to Poland to connect with his family. Um, a lot of the movie is based on my family's personal history. We even uh, filmed a scene at the little apartment that my family fled. Uh, from in 1938. Co-starring with Eisenberg is Kieran Culkin, who is already having quite a year during award season. And the Emmy goes to... And the Golden Globe goes to... The critics' choice is Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin. Succession. But the festival was not without its controversy. On Sunday, Main Street in Park City was shut down by a group of pro-Palestinian protesters. The police showed a strong presence, but the situation passed without incident. Actress Melissa Barrera, who was at the festival to promote her new film, Your Monsters, joined the approximately 100 protesters, as reported by Deadline. Barrera made news in November when Spyglass Entertainment fired her from the rebooted Scream franchise due to pro-Palestinian social media posts the studio described as anti-Semitic. The Sundance Film Festival continues in Park City, Utah through January 28th. I'm Kevin Carr. Mean Girls keeps the number one spot at the movies in a mostly slow weekend at the box office. Entertainment correspondent Margie Zaraletta reports. Just admit it, sometimes mean is what you are. January is generally a slow time for movie theaters, but this weekend was particularly quiet. The top 10 films combined accounted for just over $51 million, according to Comscore. The top draw this weekend was Mean Girls, pulling in another $11.7 million domestically in its second weekend, according to studio estimates. She was the only person who ever took care of me. I just got a message saying that there's a problem with my computer. Yes, ma'am, we got this. Yesterday, she shot herself. This is private property. Do you know what they do here? Scamming the weakest in our society. The beekeeper takes second place with Wonka in third. That's the jerk who bee got with when she was on a break from Jonathan. I could never be with someone like him. This girl's a disaster. <laughs> We're going to ruin our wedding. Sorry. Anyone but you is number four. Migration is number five. I'm Margie Zaraleta. America in the Morning for Monday, January 22nd, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.